We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants podcast presented by the good people at Untucket. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we come to you for the last quick takeaways reaction on a single game during the Giants' 2019 season, an abysmal season for a once-proud franchise. It ends with a 34-17 loss to the Eagles in a game that summed up where this team has been at so many times this season competing for two and a half quarters, but not competing over the final one and a half quarters. And let's be honest, one and a half quarters of uncompetitive football is way too much. It's ridiculous. And this game completely unraveled for a Giants team who really looked to have some momentum in the late third quarter after Daniel Jones made two awesome plays, including a bucket drop throw while getting hit uh, to Darius Slayton followed by a nice little run. And then they bottled that. They got boggled down when they ran the ball on second and short and then went, uh, and then Daniel Jones underthrew Sterling Shepard before a fourth and four lack of conversion. That seems to be the moment where the momentum flipped the defense, Nick, I thought fought hard for as long as they could, but then came completely undone and appeared again to not adjust at halftime. And I have a pretty strong take now on this defense, Nick, that we're going to get to on this podcast where I think me and you may differ on this one. But before we do that, before we do get there, let's talk about the most important thing, the only actual thing that matters, at least for 2020. And that's the development. I shouldn't say the only thing, but the thing that matters most, Nick, and that's the development of Daniel Jones, Giants rookie quarterback. What did you make of his performance overall in this game? In this game, man, I felt it was up and down. Now, he had a couple of those really nice throws that you brought up before, but he also underthrew Shepard on two, maybe even three plays that could have been huge if he put the ball where he usually puts it. Now, we haven't seen Daniel Jones kind of underthrow these passes like he did in this game, and you can attribute it to weather. You can attribute it to many different things, but uh, those were plays that he left out there. Now, yep. uh, the 134 in the second quarter with 14-17 left, and there was another one that would have been a huge play. Now, with all that being said, I still think he made a, a few really nice throws as well, and he 
put the ball right where it needed to be to maximize the plays for guys like Shepard. And then I thought he also hit Golden Tate in stride a couple times. Tate didn't even hold on to the ball. Obviously, the touchdown catch by Tate, that was a huge play. Beautiful throw from Daniel Jones there. But um, again, uh, protection wasn't as well either. Uh, times he stepped up in the pocket, got hit, had the fumble that everyone you know jumps all over Daniel Jones about. That didn't concern me as much because the play was just a wild, fluky kind of play. Bounced off Saquon Barkley's leg in the wet. There was also another aspect. It was really wet and windy up there at MetLife. So uh, I just want to say I think it was an up-and-down game for Daniel. Uh, he definitely had much better ones. And um, it's one of those things where it's his rookie season. He's going to have these kind of games. And you were facing a team that was incredibly hungry, really, really needed to win the game. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to Daniel Jones, that's basically my takeaway from it. Yeah, Nick, we're pretty much very in line on our evaluation of Jones in this game. And I think part of it was he was a bit overwhelmed by not just the defensive line for the Eagles, which was hungry and active and, you know, teeing off, but really just the overall game plan and defensive uh, defensive idea and, you know, everything, the philosophy that went behind what Jim Schwartz put out there today for this Eagles defense. They were aggressive. They were attacking. They were forcing Jones to make quick decisions and get the ball out of his hands quick, um, sometimes quicker than he wanted to. And it's interesting because while he made three of just the best throws I've seen him make all season, the one where he's sliding left and drops the ball in the bucket to Tate, the ball where he stands tall in the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield, takes a monster crushing hit and drops the ball into Slayton. And then the one that started even his production in this game, which was when he was able to avoid pressure sliding and then hit Caden uh, Smith up the seam for a really nice long ball there, a really nice long completion. Those are three of his best throws from the entire season. Um, but then, like you said, a couple underthrown balls. I think overall he wasn't really fully prepared for for just exactly what the Eagles were showing him from an aggression standpoint. I thought he, you know, oftentimes missed checks into plays that could have been better. These are all things I expect from a rookie for sure. Um, and I think, you know, for those who who are criticizing him, they're clearly not watching rookies on a weekly basis. And you know, the teams that are, you know, you talk to fans of teams who have rookie quarterbacks or second year quarterbacks, and and ask them what they think about Daniel Jones and the games they see him because they probably have a more positive outlook than some of the fans at this point um, for the team because they're expecting perfection. But listen, a rookie quarterback is going to make these mistakes. And and I think the, 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 the good moments do at least give you hope that if he can put it all together and if he can process this faster. And even, you know, you draw back, Nick, to maybe a game a week ago against an overmatched Washington team to some extent, but you just get to see what is possible and what he's capable of if he has pass protection and you know obviously only a handful of teams in the nfl do have that really awesome pass protection down to down but there's no reason the giants can't become one of them they just have to start putting assets there and you know making their roster good uh, i'm sorry i shouldn't say making the roster i should say remaking their roster um in that direction and with that philosophy so overall i think uh, go ahead nick no i said and just diversifying the play calling is another huge aspect. I mean, all of this kind of groups in together for Daniel Jones, when you're predictable and you know, they're going to throw the football teams are going to really sell out to go against that. It's going to be hard for a rookie quarterback to kind of combat that. And when it comes to Daniel Jones, those Caden Smith throws, those were beautiful passes. A couple of them, even the ones that Caden Smith dropped, those were incredibly well placed balls by Daniel Jones up the seam, hard passes with pressure in his face. And a little stat nugget I wanted to bring up about Daniel Jones before we move on. Uh, in this specific game, 31.9% of his passes were thrown into coverage. And I want to say he's third 
in the NFL. This is according to Big Blue View. They're in the NFL with 22.4 of his passes on the season going into coverage, which is just behind Dwayne Haskins. So he's throwing the ball into tight windows. That could be looked at as a negative. It could be looked at as a positive. Yeah, he's aggressive. You know, he, he trusts his arm. But at the same time, you don't really want to be throwing into coverage. This could also be a coaching thing, which is something that the Giants may have a totally different outlook come, what, 12 hours when it comes to the coaching search and what may ensue on Black Monday. So uh, all these things can be upgraded on, and Daniel Jones can learn from these kind of things, but he is aggressive. He trusts his arm, and I, I, on the whole of this entire season, I'm pleased with Daniel Jones. He way exceeded my expectations. I'm sure you agree with me as well. And I think I want to wait, Nick, and hold off a bit on our full Daniel Jones rookie season evaluation because I think we're going to do that over a podcast. At least I have plans to do that. I know we've discussed this in the past. Um, and really, it could it could take longer than even one podcast. Who knows? It might turn into a first half season one podcast, second half of season second podcast type of thing. However, that may be as we kind of dive back into it and relook it over. But yeah, on an overall basis, I can at least give the spoiler that I'm beyond impressed, at least with where I thought he would be as a rookie to where he is now. It just isn't the quarterback exactly that I saw at Duke. He's better than he was at Duke. There's just no doubt about it from what I saw there when watching them play. And obviously there are factors there. I mean, he was playing with a bunch of essentially barely D1 athletes. None of them are going to make a practice squad. None of those Duke players are going to be on an NFL team. And none of those players are on an NFL team currently. So it really was tough. But overall, with all the positives and all the big time plays that he made, and just think back, the easiest way, the simplest way to do it, and I had this discussion with uh, my brother and my father and some of my family members over the holiday season was this. It's like, just think back to all the 15 plus throws, 15 plus yard throws that Daniel Jones made this season. Think about those and then remember those in your head against all the 50 or, or I guess the, the lack of 15 plus throws that the Giants completed in 2017 and in 2018. And to me, that's probably the biggest factor. He can stretch the field. Um, obviously, it's easy to look at this game and say, can he stretch the field? Because the Eagles really crowded him and were aggressive and took that away. But I don't think that's an indicator of him not being able to stretch the field. I think that it's more of an indicator of him not able to get his pass protections uh, right and him not able at this point in his career, at least as a rookie, to get into the right check. So speaking of that, I wanted to get your take on the pass protection in this game, Nick, because overall, and I guess in the run game too with the run blocking, it really looked like Jekyll and Hyde for the Giants last week. They dominated a line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball. And this week, it seems like they were the ones dominated. So what do you attribute to that? I uh, attribute Jim Schwartz's scheme and those pass rushers. Those are very talented pass rushers. And the scheme of Jim Schwartz, he generates pressure with a lot of picks and a lot of stunts and things along those lines. The first sack was the one by Brandon Graham where he started all the way from the left side of the line of scrimmage. And basically everybody acted as just a pick to suck the offensive line in, including Nate Solder, who was the end man for the Giants on the right side. And then all Brandon Graham did was just loop right around and hit Daniel Jones. It was the one by Derek Barnett, which was the one where he stepped up in the pocket and Derek Barnett just came off his block and just hit Daniel Jones right down. That was on the third and 11. Was he holding on the ball too long? He's had that issue this season. I'm not really attributing all of those sacks in this game, the four sacks, to that. It was more guys getting beat. Nick Gates, that anchor that we've talked about, we love what we've seen from Nick Gates. But that anchor came up on the one sack on the edge where Saquon Barkley had a really bad chip. And then that forced Daniel Jones to step up and then someone else hit him from the backside as well. So I think the offensive line just was not cohesive not on the same page and it's something that we've talked about at length on this podcast how hunter 
what happens when defensive lines adjust and they bring these stunts, they come in from different angles and they move right before the snap. What happens? It usually confuses the communication of all the Giants offensive line. And we saw that in this game. And that's what Schwartz was doing with his defensive line. Very talented guys. And it messed up the Giants just cohesiveness in general. And it's not surprising whatsoever because we've seen this in the Vikings game. We saw it in just a lot of games this season with this unit. I believe this unit, the offensive line, has talent. I just don't believe they're led by the right coaching staff, and I don't believe that they're being maximized right now, which is an obvious coaching issue. And what amazes me about that, Nick, is some of the same issues that you're talking about, the main issue, you know, giving up to, uh, you know, giving up big pass protection uh, breakdowns against stunts and different defensive linemen shifting before the snap, things like that. These were all issues that plagued Hal Hunter's offensive line in his first couple games during the 2018 season, Jermber's first year. How are they still issues this year? This offensive line has been mostly healthy. I mean, for the most part, very healthy. And they're still having communication issues, uh, issues, execution in the run blocking game. Obviously, the Saquon Barkley touchdown was well blocked, especially by the wide receivers at the second level. But, you know, those plays seem few and far in between at this point. And, I just believe a team that's had this many games together on the offensive line and is still giving up big, you know, horrible drive-killing plays against not I won't I don't want to say simple defensive stunts and things like that, but just the same things that plagued them week one of how hunters, you know, this I guess the best way to sum it up is why is this offensive line still having trouble with things that haunted them in game one, in game thirty? It just doesn't really add up. Something, you know, is the common denominator there. And we'll see some changes there. But before we dive into all the changes we expect coming ahead, do want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Ever see an untucked button down? They look, hmm, pretty damn bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I used to be a schleb walking around with my shirt untucked, looking like a complete and utter dork. But now... I utilize Untuck It, and guess what? That stuff falls at the perfect length and looks incredible. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your own specific fit. I mean, come on, that is service right there, ladies and gentlemen. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Do not miss this opportunity. All right, Nick. Let's dump, Let's dive right on into it. How about Pat Shermer? I want to hear your takeaway of his job in this game. A game, like I said, the Giants were competitive until the third quarter. And, you know, like several other games of his this season, they fell off completely over the final quarter and a half. And then, you know, in general, is there any way you can see him returning as the Giants head coach for 2020? In this game, it was the it was the same kind of things. It was him running it, him calling plays, running into loaded boxes and things that we've been bitching about on this podcast. And he made the one 
adjustment. And I, whoever the broadcast team was for Fox, like their C or D team, with whoever was uh, doing the uh, broadcast, they brought up how the adjustment that he made was excellent and how Pat Shermer is an excellent play caller and all these things. And I was kind of giggling to myself. And while he has had a success as offensive coordinator, it's the stuff we're bitching about, you know, and he did make the one adjustment on his own read where Daniel Jones picked up like 17 yards rushing or whatever it was on the one play. And that's awesome. But when we pick that one play out as kind of an anomaly, that's not, that's, that's a problem. There's no adjustments here on a consistent basis to defeat specific defensive coordinators from this team. And it's the same shit we've been seeing this entire season and last season. And it's getting frustrated. And on to your second part of the question, Dan. I think he's going to be fired tomorrow. I do. If there is one possibility of him staying, if he can convince the Mariners that they're on the right track, what have you, I do believe that he will not be calling the plays next year. They would bring in somebody else to be the offensive coordinator because I do not believe that they trust Mike Shula to call plays. And... I do believe that there would be changes to the staff, hence how Hunter getting fired and some of the things that would kind of bring in fresh coaches to kind of spice things up a little bit. But my belief is that he will be gone tomorrow, which is Monday. And if you're a listener to this on Monday, today. Yeah, so I guess we got to jump into that. But before I dive into my take here, Nick, I do want to say, again, having spent some time with my family over the break, I did have some conversations with my mom, Nancy Schneier. She's a saint for those who know her. They love her, and she is actually an avid listener of the Big Blue Bender podcast. She That's how much she supports me, and she did say while she loves it and while she loves my new co-host, Nick Filato, she could do without the cursing, Nick. She could do without the cursing. I think I caught you one there. I think you dropped uh, what she would refer to as an S-bomb. I, I'm on game with it, but, you know, some you know, so just, just something to keep in mind as we move forward because I feel like there could be a lot more cursing coming forward if the Giants don't make the changes we're hoping for. Well, uh, I want <laughs> to sincerely apologize to <laughs> – Miss Nancy Schneier for my potty mouth and my toilet spewing face. <laughs> and I'll try to watch that. And I do apologize. I'm not trying to corrupt your son. No, 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 Nick. You can't corrupt me. I'm already too far gone. But back to Shermer, back to the podcast. I don't see any way he lasts past Black Monday. This is it. He had his chance to maybe make that one final stand, that one final case that he belongs in 2020 if he beats the Eagles at home, preventing them from making the playoffs. Even if that had happened, I wouldn't have wanted him to come back, and I don't think he would have, but I think it would have been ushed. He would have had a shot. But another collapse, another game where you are uncompetitive by the fourth quarter and a game where you were competitive in the third quarter. How many times has that happened in these Giants games this year? It's like third quarter. They're in the game. Snap of a finger a few minutes later, and it's a total blowout. Like, only poorly, really poorly coached teams can get to that point where they go from competitive to uncompetitive, zero to 60 like that, in such a short span of game time. Um, And he's one of them. His team, this Giants team, is one of them. This is, to me, the most poorly coached Giants team overall, I would say, situationally. Not offensively. The most poorly offensively coached team were the two McAdoo years, without a doubt. I mean, that goes by anyone who watched the All-22 and watched that offense, but it ain't about that. Um, it's not about the offense creating some big plays and creating some points from game to game. It's about the overall coaching of this football team, both individually, guys like Hal Hunter, Betcher, who I want to get to soon, um, and, and obviously Shermer, but also just in-game coaching and the inability to adjust and and kind of coach to win the games rather than coach to lose. So I think that's it for Shermer, Nick. But I do want to flip it over and talk about James Betcher in this podcast because 
I've kind of hit my breaking point there, Nick. And while I do believe that Betcher flashes at times, and, you know, you see it even game in, in the game like today, like especially in the first half where he was confusing Carson Wentz a good amount and forcing incompletions and forcing errant throws, and he has those flashes of brilliance, but we're not seeing the defense he had in Arizona. And he did, obviously didn't have the players he has there, but part of it is that, you know, you have to coach the players you have and the talent you have to be better. And today what was particularly troubling for me, Nick, is that injuries continued to pile up on that Eagles offense in-game, and that includes the injuries that came into the game with no Lane Johnson. They lost Brandon Brooks. Their two best offensive linemen in this game went down. They lost Miles Sanders for a stretch of time. They're down to whatever receivers is left. No Zach Ertz in this game, so doesn't have the game plan for that. And, they, and yet it's another defensive collapse here. So at what point do, is, is it time to start pinning the, ba- the blame on Fletcher uh, in your mind, Nick? Because for me, I'm out. I'm done with Betcher. This was it. I mean, I feel with Shermer getting fired, Betcher's probably going to be gone too. And I don't think Betcher is a scrub, and I'm not fully out like you are. But I was questioning him back when we the Giants played the Eagles last time because there were no adjustments to that screen game that was just torching the Giants. And it was the similar thing. The Eagles were just decimated by injuries and the Giants were not making an adjustments. And in this game, there was one play in particular, and I don't have the play pulled up, but it was a third down. It was a really, really pivotal point in the game. And we, the Giants had Julian Love playing at the sticks and backing off in coverage and not challenging the guy to get uh, right at the first down marker. And it was one of those, uh, I can't remember which receiver it was. It was one of those things where I was just like, why does Betcher have this defense playing so far off in a lot of these situations and a lot of those kind of situations where it's like should be an obvious man coverage, D your man up, play the sticks, do not let anybody get to the sticks. And I feel like that's been an issue with the defense along with the breakdowns and coverage. And those are definitely concerning. But at the same time, I try to keep things into perspective. I'm like the Giants had Antonio Hamilton, who played relatively well in this game. A guy from South Carolina State playing significant snaps, and there's not all that much talent. And the leader of your defense is Alec Ogletree, who is a name, but everyone on this po- who listens to this podcast and who watches the Giant games know he's probably the biggest liability on that defense, one of them right. at least. And, and I do feel with talent, this he could put it together, and he has a lot of young players, and in the defensive system that he runs. That is not something that's going to usually end well until those players are more accustomed to a system. So I want to keep it into perspective with that. I do believe if Shermer has gone, they're not just going to retain Betcher. Whoever they bring in to be their head coach is going to bring in their entire new staff. So he's more than likely going to be gone too if Shermer has gone. But I don't – I'm not fully out on him. I just do feel like if Shermer has gone, he has to go too because obviously you got to keep a coaching staff's continuity together. Yep. There's no doubt about that, and and I don't mean it more in that sense. Like, should he stay? Should he go? Will he stay? Will he go? He he'll be gone with Batcher. I mean, I'm sorry, with Shermer for sure. But for me, it just gets to the point where I'm starting to wonder if a big factor in his success in Arizona was having prime Patrick Peterson, prime Chandler Jones, who's now you know showing himself to be one of the three or four best players in my opinion, at least. In the NFL right now, maybe really the last five years. I mean, if you just look at this run he's been on over three years. And then Calais Campbell in his prime, too. So you're looking at Tyron Matthew. And Tyron Matthew. That's four prime all pros there, right there. And that's a lot of prime all pros. Like, the Giants don't even have one of those players on their roster right now on the defensive side of the ball. Not even one of them. So, obviously, talent plays a big role. But if you can't make it work and can't get the best of the talent you have – that's when I start to have an issue, and that's kind of where I'm at with Betcher. 
But while we look forward to the future of this Giants football team, Nick, I do want to say that a few things were locked in today with the Giants' loss to the Eagles. The first is that they're going to be picking number four in the NFL draft. The Bengals will have the first pick where they'll take Joe Burrow. The second pick belongs to the Washington Redskins where we assume they'll take Chase Young, but I don't think that's guaranteed yet. I still think there's potential for a team to trade up there to take a quarterback. Um, And then at number three, the Detroit Lions will pick ahead of the Giants at number four overall for the New York football Giants. Obviously, the Detroit Lions nearly beat the Green Bay Packers, kind of went into a shell there coaching-wise, and just kind of with the talent that was left on that roster. Um, The Packers, I can't unbelievable to me that they almost lost that game, Um, and now they're about to be hosting uh, playoff football games after that, so that's kind of crazy to me. But I guess that's the case right now, that that uh, or that's the situation there in the NFC. But the Giants will also have their schedule set, Nick, where they have home games next season against the obvious three, Washington, Philly, and Dallas. They have a home game against the Arizona Cardinals. That's probably a good break because they're playing the NFC West, and Arizona is a team that's much better at home. Home game against the 49ers. Uh, road, uh, I'm sorry, another home game against the Cleveland Browns. That should be a really interesting game. They're playing the AFC North, so... If they, you know, if the Browns still have Odell Beckham, that's going to be a super interesting game right there. Home game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who should get Ben Roethlisberger back. Still probably a lucky break there, Nick. I think you'd rather play them at home than uh, in Pittsburgh for sure. They're a really good home team. Home game against Tampa Bay Bucks. They play them instead of the Falcons because the Falcons won the game. That was the only remaining game that was to be decided. And then the eight away games, Nick, will be Washington, Dallas, Philly, obviously, at Los Angeles Rams. At the Seahawks, probably not the best place to play. At Cincy, that's a nice one. At Baltimore, uh uh-oh. And then uh, at Chicago again. So that's another game against the Chicago Bears, hopefully with Mitchell Trubisky, at least if the Giants are competitive there going into next year. But as we continue to kind of focus on the future here before we dive back into a few players from this specific game, um, where do you stand right now, Nick, on Dave Gettleman as general manager moving forward for the Giants? I'm— feel Dave Gettleman's probably going to be back. Uh, there are whispers uh, that he was talking to people in the media saying that he has his press conference on Tuesday and everyone should show up. And that basically says, yes, I'm not going to be fired on Black Monday. Now, the one wild card, which is a theory going around on Twitter, is what if that he's announcing his retirement on Tuesday so he is not fired by the organization that he has such a tenure with going back to his days when he was working under Jerry Reese. I feel that he's not going to retire and he's probably going to be retained. And I mean, we, I think we have similar views with Gettleman. I mean, I think you want to clear house if I'm not mistaken, but I'll let you talk on that. Me, I I would be about that if there was a plan and there were people that could replace him that that the ownership feels very strongly about. I don't necessarily feel like that's going to be a thing and it might be just replacing him to replace him. I do not like how Dave Gettleman is so against analytics and that he's so stubborn with some of his views. I do believe in his ability to evaluate talent, however. So it's one of those catch-22 things. Now, keeping him, bringing in another coach, if we, if the Giants keep him, does that rule out bringing in a coach like, say, Matt Rule? Because Matt Rule might, not want, might want more control and not have to work under Gettleman, per se. That's something that's going to need to be sussed out, and I am excited to see how it kind of happens, and I'm not 100% sure what will happen, but as of right now, I kind of feel like his job is safe, and that's going to pose a question on which coach is going to bring in. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, Nick. I think there's definitely somewhat of an outside chance that that Tuesday presser that Gettleman, you know, plugged for the reporters, which, you know, is kind of, like you said, funny because 
it means he escapes Monday, right? I do think there's an outside – I wouldn't even say an outside chance. I think it's like 50-50. He might say, I'm going to step down for health purposes. You know, this is not for me right now because I think the Giants are well aware that some of the coaches who are going to who they're going to be looking to replace Shermer with aren't going to want to come in with Dave Gettleman. Like you said, he doesn't believe in the analytics side of the game, at least to most extent. He's not really thinking new age football. He still believes one of the most important things in this game is stopping the run. And he's willing to go to a, a massive great lengths to stop the run for this football team. Um, and I don't know if every head coach is going to kind of vibe with him on that. I think some of the coaches who they want to come in are probably going to want more power anyway and control over the yeah. team than what Snurmer had. And that's a, you know, a major issue for a guy like Edelman. Um, so I think there's actually a decent chance that he goes with Shermer and they just kind of say, you know, listen, is it a failure? Some will call it that. Most will call it that. But he may sit back and say, I got you guys, Daniel Jones, work from there. At least I can go away and retire knowing that I got you guys, your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. And, you know, everyone in that building is confident in Jones being that guy. So if he can sit away, you know, if he can go away with that rather than the idea of, OK, I got you, Jones, and now let's win a Super Bowl with him. I think that, you know, it could tempt him to 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 sit to take a step back here because I think he can put two and two together and realize that while he does believe in Daniel Jones, he doesn't believe that this roster is close to winning a Super Bowl. It's impossible for anyone to think that this roster will be, you know, Super Bowl competitive next season unless Daniel Jones takes a massive, massive year two jump. Um, so I think there's actually a chance he could go. And and, and for me, Nick, it's it, it's time. I, I like his evaluations on players. He hit on Sladen. He hit on Connolly. Did a really good job with Caden Smith. Um, that was a really good evaluation there. He knows how to evaluate talent, but unfortunately, that's there's just so much more to being a general manager and being savvy and being on top of these other general managers and getting continuously looking for edges and trying to get edges is what makes the difference for these winning football teams. There's a reason that Baltimore was able to turn things around so fast there, and it's not just that they drafted Lamar Jackson. They were competitive with or without Jackson for the most part. They've never dropped to this low, Giants low that we're currently at, and it's because there's such a well-run organization there, um, and they do things the right way, and they maximize their comp picks, and they trade back when they need to trade back, and all sorts of different things like that. So, you know, we'll see where that goes, Nick. I'm very interested to see it, but I think there's a chance that we're going to get a new GM and a new head coach this offseason, which is crazy to think about. That is that is absolutely crazy to think about, and it's going to give us a lot of a lot to cover, which really excites me. But also, the Ravens have John Harbaugh, which is an excellent uh, yeah. excellent mainstay to have uh, coaching all the pick. I was going to do some game and everything like that. But uh, the Giants, man, Dave Gettleman, that's an interesting theory that you pose there. Step down for health reasons, and uh, it would kind of be one of those things where I do believe a lot of Giants fans would uh, look at it all as a failure. But solid point. Daniel Jones ends up working out, then that's excellent. Now, that means that whoever they bring in, the ownership and everybody in that building is going to ensure that that coaching staff has is fully committed to Daniel Jones, obviously. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, anyone who comes in is going to be on the Daniel Jones train, without a doubt. Would you agree with that, Nick? I mean, it would have to be. I mean, the, the yeah. ownership is not going to, you know, botch up Daniel Jones or anything like that. But again, I, th- I, don't, I wouldn't even say it's 50-50, though, Dan. I think it would be more of a 30-70 thing on uh, yeah. what – you just discussed, but I guess yeah, they will be telling. It's not just the health thing. I think, you know, when I, I actually ran into Dave Gettleman at the Giants Jets game um, when I was up there in the press box, I ran into the bathroom and he really did look kind of just like a beaten down man there. He, I, I'm sure part of it is that he feels that 
you know, this could take them time and no one has the patience for it anymore. And, and I think he even said it, he said during one of his pressers before, before the Giants drafted Jim Jones, I, I want to get the Giants that next quarterback. I want to get them that Eli Manning. I feel like that was almost a bigger goal for him than anything else. Um, especially once he kind of came to the realization that, you know, Eli, you know, they weren't built to win now with Eli Manning after that experiment kind of went awry. So I just think overall, it's kind of just hasn't gone as he's expected, but if he can walk away feeling happy about something and that something would be getting the Giants Salem Jones, I think that potentially could be enough. I guess that's how I would sum it up, Nick. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that's a pretty good at a assessment of it all. How about for this game, though, Nick? Anyone, I mean, anything else stand out to you? I thought it was Saquon Barkley, you know, had his ups and downs, in my opinion, in this game. Looked like himself on some of those runs, but obviously missed some key pass protections. What did you make of him in this game? Yeah, the pass protections thing. That's, he's going to get that down, hopefully. Saquon's still a very young player, and he's actually shown the last couple weeks that he's been able to do that at a pretty high level. But it's still inconsistent. We've seen him really mess that up in the past, especially earlier on in the season, and he had a couple whiffs here. But no, he was hitting the holes. And I, the thing I love about Saquon Barkley is once he gets to that second level, he has that burst. He has that second gear, that third right. gear to just run right past safeties. But even on that huge run, that really – shouldn't have happened. McLeod should have been there. McLeod just got sucked into a block. And I mean, that was just really bad safety play by Ronnie McLeod of the Eagles, but Giants were able to take advantage. So tribute that. That's a really good thing. Just want to see Saquon with um, better blocking and a coach that can really create plays and get him into space. I mean, like we've been saying this, man, I'm looking at some of the other coaches and what they can do with their running backs, like Dalvin Cook up there in Minnesota. It's that would be amazing to see with Saquon Barkley, but I'm I'm not afraid of his development. He's going to be fine. He has a really good head on his shoulders, and I'm looking forward to him with the New York Giants. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And I think you're right. And I think if I was to sum up his 2019 season one way or with one word, there'd be two I could find, injury and underutilization. This was a very poorly utilized player this season for the Giants. He should have been the focal point of the offense. He should have had a Dalvin Cook-style offense around him. should have had an Ezekiel Elliott-style offense in years past. There's plenty, Christian McCaffrey, there's plenty of examples of teams focusing their offense around running backs, and the Giants just simply weren't one of them. And it was very extremely disappointing on the coach's part, um, you know, especially since it wasn't the first year he had this player, you know, um, even though, you know, you look at that Vikings coaching staff and Savancy was there a season before, but he really took over this year in the play calling and did such an excellent job with Dalvin Cook. It's a great example of a coach and a player meshing together and perfectly, you know, coming up with something to perfectly fit his skill set. Um, and I don't feel that way with Barkley. Um Speaking of some other players I kind of feel were underdeveloped as we look forward towards this offseason, Will Hernandez, DeAndre Baker, um, you know, the young core of this Giants team, first and second round picks, third round picks. What did you make of their play in this game and, and where what are you looking forward to in the future with those players? I want to see Hernandez specifically in a more diverse scheme that has more power concepts and yep. maybe obviously we're not in the coaches room. We're not on the field during practice with these guys, but they're just not being maximized, essentially what I'm getting at. They're not being coached up to what I feel their full potential is. And I'm sure you also agree with me. But when it comes to Hernandez, I want to see him just better at the point of attack, better locating at the second level, driving through some of his blocks, and especially in pass protection, picking up those stunts. And that is a communication issue on the whole line. It's not just him. I mean, on that Saquon Barkley run, Hernandez locates number 53, I think, with Bradham, and drives him all the way back. And that's the block that kind of got in the way of McLeod. That was an excellent 
play, but he didn't have to attack anybody at the line of scrimmage. He was able to just climb up the second level right away, and that's in a perfect world. But I would like to see him, and we've seen it before this season, I would like to see Hernandez kind of make that contact, pass off to the tackle or the center, and then climb and locate, which is something that he's kind of struggled with. And it's easier said than done, but it's definitely something that I hope that he can kind of uh, either get coached up or just develop in this next coming offseason. And as for Baker, cornerback's the hardest position to play as a rookie, and he played so many snaps, and I feel like he's flashed a lot this season. A lot of people don't want to give him credit because everyone remembers the beginning of the year. He's still getting beat sometimes. He'll still get too grabby at the top of breaks. But overall, I feel like he's aggressive. I feel like he comes up with run support. I feel like he's physical. And I am intrigued by what he can be. I just hope he keeps his head in it because that was reports coming out of Georgia when he was drafted was that he wasn't always fully invested. So we'll have to see how that kind of materializes as well. And another young player who really balled out last week, so we didn't really get to touch too much on the Redskins game, Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter played well in this game, and he played incredibly well with six pressures in that game against the Redskins, winning in different ways, winning, beating 1v1s, winning with in Ben, winning with a couple of different pass rushing moves, showing that repertoire that we've kind of been concerned about, that pass rushing repertoire that we haven't seen too much of. But he was able to kind of come on strong in these last two games, and that's incredibly encouraging as well because if Lorenzo Carter can turn into a, a, a solid, good pass rusher, that would be huge for this team. Now, obviously, I don't want him to be the number one pass rusher for this team. A guy like Chase Young would have been great to pair with him, but those guys don't grow on trees, as we always say. But if he can kind of develop value with Zimenez kind of coming on as well, who also had a really good game, and, and there was a one move I can't wait to watch it on the All-22 that he had on the sack that Zimenez picked up. It looked like he, he hit the uh, tackle with a left club and then got underneath his right inside shoulder and just threw the tackle over to go after and get Carson Wentz. So if those two can kind of develop into a one-two punch, that would be solid. Obviously, I think the Giants need to find a premier pass rusher. Yeah, it's really interesting because Carter was also the player who was in on what would have been a you know sack or a hit um, before the Eagles completed a long play downfield and they got called for holding on it. Um, like you said, there's a lot of young talent on this defense, and it's going to be interesting. But this defense will go as far as those guys develop because even if they just develop into plus starters, not dominant players, but plus starters, it's enough if all of them can develop or even two-thirds of them can develop in one season to pair with a big for a ticket free agent signing or – whoever they select that number four overall in the draft or if they trade down. Um, Cause there still will be some intriguing impact defensive players there for the taking. If the giants want them, somebody like Isaiah Simmons or, or who looked just great for Clemson uh, the other night and several other players, you know, that are on my radar that we'll get to as we head into draft season, Nick, but you know, there's a lot of guys that still could develop on that defense. I don't want to rule them out because of how they played this season as they were kind of trying to get it together um, as a young defense. Uh, you know, under a coaching staff that, quite frankly, I, I am a little bit, you know, on the defense side of the ball, I've, I've grown a little concerned with overall. So we'll have to see how that develops, Nick. But any other key takeaways from this game or players you wanted to touch on? No, I mean, the All-22 will be uh, telling, and it's going to be one of those things that last All-22 of the season for the New York Giants. It's the uh, last of the decade. It's kind of depressing, but at the same time, this team has been so abysmal all year. It's also a relief. <laughs> it is also a bit of a relief to wrap it up because this team is just really not giving us much hope. But at the same time, it'll be good to dive into that, and we'll probably revisit a bunch of these games this offseason. Speaking of the offseason, guys, we've got a lot planned. We think this podcast is going to really hit its stride in the offseason. We've already started to compile a list of some guests we want to get on from different walks of the NFL internet, draft guys, you know, uh, evaluators of film, all sorts of guys we think would be awesome 
guests for this podcast. We're going to tackle the news with the coaching. Um, we could have a, a podcast as soon as this, you know, whenever the news hits of where the Giants are going, when, you know, when we find out what's going on with Shermer Gettleman and the entire coaching staff. So we're going to have news, we're going to have breaking stuff, and then we're going to have a lot planned around free agency in the draft. So stick with us here on Big Blue Banter Podcast because we can't wait to do it with you guys this offseason. And hopefully this will be the first step toward the revival for a once proud New York Giants football franchise. And on that note, we'll talk to you guys later this week. Have a great rest of your week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.